onus on companies in almost every industry to rely on new products and services quickly is greater than ever in the digital age. To achieve this, companies are increasingly leaning on cloud services, particularly cloud-native environments, to allow them to scale at rapid pace. Welcome to the National Technology News Podcast. I'm Will McCurdy, Content Editor of National Technology News, and today we're going to take a look at some of the challenges facing companies as they move into the cloud. Scaling IT infrastructure can bring new types of security risks with it. Cyber criminals are looking to take advantage of the large attack surface cloud infrastructures can offer, looking towards vulnerabilities within APIs, containers, infrastructures, code, and microservices to disrupt, infiltrate, and exploit organizations. As a result, many companies exploring how they can use the DevSecOps approach, leveraging continuous integration and continuous delivery to ensure the security of their cloud infrastructures throughout the development lifecycle. To discuss these challenges, as well as some possible solutions, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by James Grotsos, product manager at Checkmarks, and James Ferguson, senior solutions architect at Amazon AWS. Welcome to the podcast, both. Thanks for sparing the time to come and talk to us. You're welcome. So just to dive straight in, it's a pretty big topic, admittedly. But James, could you outline what you feel are the main security risks which companies are encountering when it comes to protecting their code while scaling their cloud infrastructures? That's a pretty you know, massive question. You could spend hours probably talking about that. But some security risk really um, when it comes to scaling to the cloud is putting insecure code into production, lacking a reliable and scalable AppSec program. And you mentioned earlier having kind of a DevSecOps mentality. And without having a very secure program, you have potential of introducing insecure code into your production. Anything, you know, from command injections or some kind of injection where, you know, users can take over an application, uh, leaving secrets out in the open, um, having an insecure infrastructure and having um, outdated packages that, you know, known hackers know of that are in your application and, and can easily find um, a malicious attack on you. So when it comes down to it, really, you know, I think, you know, having immature AppSec program can really leave you open to have insecure code. Yeah, IT complexity is growing every year. A lot of security risks companies are recognizing and fighting. A lot of them, they're not. Like what you said about pre-existing, a lot of these vulnerabilities are quite easily available on the internet. It's not exactly rocket science for hackers to come and take advantage of these. So on the subject of IT complexity, James Ferguson, how do you feel that companies can effectively keep track of and integrate different IT infrastructures together when moving to the cloud? Yeah, great question. Uh, I think some of the bigger challenges around uh, infrastructure as code or IAC exist today, which is whether that's using Terraform, you know, in our case here at AWS CloudFormation or the CDK, which is the CLI approach to using CloudFormation under the hood, regardless of what you're using across your scale, bringing that all together in a cohesive manner does become a bit of a challenge. And so if in the case of Terraform, you're looking at modules, and deployment approaches with your modules and TF state files, whether you're using, you know, HashiCorp's enterprise edition or using the free version, regardless of what that looks like, you still need to think very well around where you're storing things, what are your compliance regimes. So for example, if you're going into GovCloud for IL4, IL5, IL6, or even top secret, for example, where are those things stored and, and modules and objects, et cetera. 
And then for commercial side, day-to-day DevSecOps, you know, et cetera, where are those stored? Is it Jenkins, Spinnaker, Terraform? Is it CloudFormation templates, modularized with only providing extensions out to your developers to, to change maybe variables or setters, but uh, nothing else? So organizations need to really think through that holistically, not just uh, these are the pipelines and these are the solutions we're using. They really do need to think about that holistically so that if something becomes untenable in terms of, or or needing to be mitigated in terms of IAC, they can do so quickly. uh, And they know across all of their verticals, the developers to production, things are tied down and secured from left to right. Yeah, so I talk to a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries, and the point you mentioned about data silos forming or or data not being shared between companies, between different parts of the company, something that keeps coming up in uh, almost every company you speak to in in some way or another. So linking into that, uh, a question for James Broxos, what are some key strategies which companies can use to keep their IT infrastructure secure as, as they scale in the cloud? It comes down to applying application security tools as early as possible during the development lifecycle and making sure you have some kind of policy in place at the end of it. So having tools such as stack analysis and dynamic analysis and SCA where you're, you're dissecting the, you know, what components are being inside your software, um, some kind of IAC scanner, um, secret scanning, all done during the development stage before it gets in production. And you can have some policies in place that, you know, where it doesn't get production, that security team and development team can come together and agree on. And something that gets kind of lost in the mix as well is just training, right? So most people, developers throughout their career, they don't go through a security training through college or even post-college, post-graduate college course. So it's always having some kind of secure coding program and we can train people either through videos or interactive or a wiki where you can show real examples of code that have been in production that have led up to a company to be in a, to be able to have a malicious attack, attack on them. So I think it's a combination of all of those t- together um, and having, a, you know, securing your SELC. Yeah, the, the point about education is something I feel will resonate with our audience. I mean, there's, there's so much to learn when it comes to IT and development. Sometimes the security element is something that isn't emphasized in a lot of organizations. Uh, regardless of what role they're in, it can easily um, fall to the wayside. So just to wind things back, we, we've talked a lot about the challenges of cloud migration, but one of my questions for James Brotsos is what are the key factors which are pushing businesses to migrate their systems to the cloud in the first place? Yeah, it's a good question. I think maybe maintenance and scalability and reliability are probably the biggest factors. You know, I think um, we see more people making that approach and then changing their architecture and having using more REST APIs. I think we are living in an API world now where, you know, you want to open up your API. So that's how most, you know, other, you know, vendors or, or companies can integrate with your platform. So, you know, having, moving to the cloud is, is just, just kind of makes sense in that, in that area. So um, there's one thing I'd like to touch on. I'd like to hear from James Ferguson. How are companies deploying a DevSecOps-based approach uh, to assist in the shift to the cloud? Yeah, so most customers of AWS and and companies, generally speaking, are are looking more and more to um, secured kind of pipeline delivery. Um, So secured products and services across left to right 
Um, so that shift left mentality. Here at AWS, we've got a, a program called CodeStar, which covers code deploy, uh, code build, you know, et cetera, um, all of our different kind of code uh, pipeline delivery options. That said, integrations with companies such as Checkmarks into those, as well as into your own personalized, so Spinnaker maybe, or Terraform on-prem, uh, you know, approaches uh, works great for both. Um, and so a number of customers have been moving to a, a more hybrid model, mainly because of the fact that uh, as, as they begin to scale and, and use the cloud more and more, um, they also need a, a way to ensure that, you know, if they need to set guardrails in place, uh, make sure that internet gateways are not turned on, for example, uh, or internet accessible VPCs in the cloud uh, are not there. They still need a way to be able to test and, and prove their uh, modeling uh, in their application. And so, um, again, going from that hybrid model to cloud model is important. But here at AWS, we've got a program called CodeStar that, that covers uh, left to right. And then, of course, companies like Checkmarks do a great integration with those products. Um, so that helps with um, static code delivery, for example, right at the developer machine all the way up to uh, delivery in, in production. Uh, so the DevSecOps is more and more something I see coming up, just in the type of news we're covering, the type of research we're looking at. It doesn't seem to be something that's going to go away anytime soon. So James Ferguson, could you quickly define what infrastructure as code is and how it can potentially open up vulnerabilities which cyber criminals can exploit? Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. So infrastructure as code is is really nothing more than the idea of modularizing code snippets or parameter stores for specific infrastructure, whether it's in the cloud or on-prem. So think of it like this, if, if uh, I've got an EC2 instance, uh, which is our Elastic um, Compute Cloud with AWS, and we need to uh, be able to spin up a particular AMI, Amazon Machine Image, collectively, and, and we've created maybe a, a golden AMI or something like that. Uh, from our SecOps um, side of, of the fence and, and they've hardened the image and everything's ready to go. Uh, we need a way for teams to be able to say, okay, I, I need this EC2 instance uh, up and running, but once it's up and running, I also need to deploy uh, specific parameters, um, whether it's in the host file, whether it's, um, you know, Apache or something else, you know, into the host system to be up and running and then grabbing code maybe from an S3 bucket or from Git or you know, some other repository. So infrastructure as code is really nothing more than modularized infrastructure where you're breaking out each piece of your infrastructure into its own kind of set of code commands. And then you're kind of piecing those together almost like a Lego set. Uh, and then you have that entire, you know, stack up and running within either minutes or seconds. That said, the, the challenge with that, of course, is because you can do that and because you can have an entire stack set up and running in seconds, think about the ability to run thousands of machines and have those up and running um, doing things quickly against somebody else. So attackers love infrastructure as code just as much as developers do for the same reasons, which is we can have an entire cluster of EC2 instances or VMs or Dockers up and running within seconds. And then we can attack, you know, other companies with these, we can um, change parameters and we can move around wherever we need to within moments. So uh, again, it's not just the ability to scale quickly and, and uh, from an infrastructure as code perspective, but then also the infrastructure as code itself, if it gets compromised in some way, 
uh, imagine your developers using that same stack set. Um, somebody has compromised the infrastructure as code. Uh, they're then able to run, for example, we'll just use you know blockchain or Bitcoin mining or something like that as a modular node inside your infrastructure as code. So every time you have an EC2 instance up and running, uh, they spin off a process on that same machine to do something that is either damaging to your organization or to somebody else's, uh, and you're not aware of that. So again, those are the key pieces here when we're talking about infrastructure as code and concerns around IAC, you know, what does that mean for most companies? And so whether it's internal checks and processes of your, your actual infrastructure as code and your modules themselves, or whether it's attackers using that same methodology to, to spin up resources quickly and attack your company. So yeah, that's that's a fantastic answer, James. So we've talked some more of the technical challenges, but just to move on to the more people-centric challenges. So James Brotsos, what what challenges, what strategies can businesses use to manage relationships with multiple stakeholders within their cloud infrastructure? Well, to give really good reporting and results to the stakeholders, it really comes down to having a good automated and integrated pipeline with security tools and good DevSecOps program too. So if everything is integrated, all the tests are being performed, then you can give, you know, results to the stakeholders by various reports. You know, a lot of people want to give an inventory of all of the open source components or an inventory of, you know, the infrastructure's code um, violations or security issues. Um, so really, you know, we see trends over time you want to make sure that vulnerabilities are either being at a low rate or being fixed quickly. A good metric is also to give you vulnerabilities over time, see how long it actually lasts inside of your code, and making sure that your CISOs and your security team are aware of any kind of big item issues. A big open source package that got into production, such as Log4j, that they can be notified right away. Um, so I think it's a, it's a combination of being notified and having a good you know reporting system as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, being able to spot these vulnerabilities is one thing, but having a system in place to effectively report them when they appear is, is something a lot of cybersecurity teams seem to be having issues with. So I th think we've covered most of the topics that we, we were looking at, but just another question for you, uh, James Bratzos, is you touched now companies are using automation to assist with cloud-based DevOps, but uh, do, you, do you have any more on this topic? Yeah, it's really, you know, finding the developers tools that they love to use right now and automating it within their already existing pipeline. So, you know, if they're using such tools that are huge in the market, such as Jenkins or GitHub or GitLab, being able to integrate within their already existing environment. I, I really see the trends moving away from, I don't know if you consider legacy as being Jenkins, but I see more developers and more people moving to have their whole ecosystem just within GitHub or GitLab. So not only are you have it, use it as a source control management system and even and even Amazon too, they, they, they're offering something very similar where you can not only have your source code in there, but it also will fit into the CI CD pipeline where you are not only building your applications, but you're deploying the applications as well. So you know, security tools need to be fit into that world where you could provide as much detailed information of those security results in an automated fashion early in the process. You know, the best point really is during the pull request when they're trying to push something into production. So that to me is the key to automation and integration, finding the right spot to where developers or, or anyone who needs to consume these results can consume it. 
Yeah, it's all about finding the right way and the right place within an organization to, to implement automation in the first place. So I think that's been a really good conversation so far. And I think you you've, you both highlighted a lot of points that will resonate with our listeners. But just to finish things off, if our listeners would like to learn more about Checkmarks or about AWS, where would you send them? Yeah, for Checkmarks, you can go to checkmarks.com. It's spelled with an X at the end. So C-H-E-C-K-M-A-R-X.com. Um, and we have all of our integrations there. We have all of our application security testing solutions there, including a open source infrastructure's code scanner. Um, it's free for anyone to use. You don't need any kind of authentication. We maintain it, but we offer it to the community to scan their infrastructure's code. It already has over half a million downloads. Um, so, you know, please check that out at kicks.io and um, please give us any feedback you have on that. And for Amazon, it's aws.amazon.com or to follow up on what uh, James Bratzos just said, uh, aws.amazon.com slash open source. We'll get you to all the resources on the AWS or Amazon Web Services side of things. Thanks so much for your time, uh, both James and for joining us in the podcast. I'm sure it's something that will really resonate with our listeners um, that they'll return to. So see you on another podcast and thanks again for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you.